everybody welcome to another episode of Kayvon and friends podcast uh we have a very very special guest this evening uh he goes by the name of faraz or mr rabban uh either way or mr rabban son uh as well uh please say hello hey everyone hey Kayvon, thanks for having me on say hello to the millions listening at home during this billions, pandemic. billions and millions. billions of folks all around this great wide world Oh, wow. So quite the interesting times we're living in, huh? Pretty wild. Yeah, it feels like the world just kind of stopped. It's unbelievable. We're at a standstill. Um, but yeah, I think this is the, so this is part of the reason why I want to reach out to some of my friends and, and uh, get in touch with them and have more in-depth conversations about life and and what, what it's all about. And I thought this would be a good way to do it rather than just sending text messages here and there. So mm-hmm. um, we, we talked about it a little bit in advance. And uh, I think we want to talk about uh, the law as our, as our primary topic, the law. Um, so I thought if you'd like to, to, first of all, maybe talk about your experiences, um, maybe what inspired you in the first place, and then like maybe a little bit about your journey through that whole, you know, the whole uh, hoops, as we like to call it, or as, as you like to call it. Sure, sure. So... In terms of why I got into it first, um, pretty simple answer is that um, I was getting more and more involved um, in the Baha'i activities as I, as I, you know, neared the end of my teens, and I connected with a few of the Baha'is who were um, pretty solid soccer players, and I was always uh, kind of obsessed with the sport. And so they told me about the Twin Arrows, and uh, so we started participating Legend. in indig- Indigenous soccer tournaments. Yeah, exactly, um, and. Through that, uh, I um, established some meaningful connections with Indigenous people uh, on the island and Alert Bay, which is an island above Vancouver Island. And after that, I started getting invited to potlatches and ceremonies and things like that, uh, where I was really exposed to their culture, but more importantly, I was exposed to them. Um, and I think for uh, a group of people who have been through so much, I mean, it really, the way that one of my friends put it, um, a couple of days ago was they've been dragged to hell and back. Uh, it's pretty Ooh. terrible what's what's been done to them in this country. For yeah. for all that, uh, they're they're wonderful, wonderful people across Canada, and I've had the pleasure of establishing connections with Indigenous people across the country. It's not just a small pocket of them here. So um, I think that's very important. I think more of us should be trying to reach out and bridge the gap too, because I feel like. I don't want to speak on, on behalf of anybody, but I feel like a lot of people in those communities maybe feel isolated. And I think that's really, you'd probably be able to speak on that a little bit better, but I think it's really important for us to try to, to befriend and, and, and whenever possible and really, and really empathize as well with their situation. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, they are very strong, resilient people, depending on where you go, despite what they've been through. Um, so, so, so anyway, uh, through those experiences, I decided, you know, it's time I do something with my life, figure out what I want to, at the time I, I you know I was being pressured to go into med school as most Persian Baha'is are and uh, mm. it just wasn't for me um, I didn't like science I, I couldn't do math I just hated all that stuff 
Um, right. So I started looking into legal careers and it just, it just fit, everything fit. So I did my background in poli sci, which was a natural, uh, natural gateway into the law, the law, as you say. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to do Aboriginal law on the, on the side of First Nations, um, which is kind of smaller, um, less fancy area. Most people, when they get into that area, want to represent industrial proponents of resource development. Yeah. It's not glamorous by any means. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I got into got into law school. Uh, hard work getting in, hard work getting out. And now, I, kind of, my interests are more different a little bit. I still want to advocate on behalf of First Nations, but I also have like a corporate commercial interest as well, where I want to deal with business disputes and business litigation. I find that area fascinating. I don't know how that happened. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was never into. I never really took any business classes in undergrad at all. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at now. So sometimes you just get thrust into things. My, my current work situation was another one like that where I never even applied for it. I think I talked about it on a previous podcast, but I just kind of got recruited basically for a job I never applied for. And I got the job that I never applied for. So, and I've been there ever since. So it's sometimes these things just kind of work out in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the way, uh, that's the way it goes. Sometimes we can't plan for everything. We can't predict everything. Uh, you know, I always, I always say like, as much as I wanted to go to law school to do Aboriginal law, Aboriginal law is the worst grade I have on my transcript, like mm. by a letter, by a letter grade. Um, yeah. it's my lowest mark and I, I still want to do it. I think, uh, the area in terms of the law is less exciting than I thought. I just, yeah, you know, it, it's not what I thought it was going to be. I still love first nations people and I want to help them as much as I can, but I'm not sure that. I'll do it through this means. Right. Were you, did you think it would be more advocacy focused and maybe it's not really, or is that my meeting that my reading that wrong? I don't know what it is exactly. I'm just, I was kind of a little surprised at how, um, how messy the area can get. Cause often it's okay. unfortunately nations suing each other. Mm. Um, and who's right in that situation. I mean, they were both here first. Um, yeah. So I, that's that's not an issue. Yeah, yeah it sorry, sounds like they're trying to, no, it's no worries. It sounds like they're trying to resolve things based on the the Western type of, um, you know, the, the Western using Western methods. Whereas previously in the past they probably had their own methods to deal with these things, but legally they have to go through these these uh, these hoops, these these challenges. I guess now in order to be seen as legitimate, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And and I don't want to be, um, you know, I don't want to pigeonhole myself in terms of what I'm saying tonight, I very well might go have a very promising career in Aboriginal law. And that might be the thing that I do for the rest of my life. I don't, I don't know. I'm still so young in my career. Right. But Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's just interesting how it all worked out. Like you said, you can't predict it and you, you go, life takes you in different directions. And so far I'm still figuring it out. And I don't know, maybe I'll just be in that place forever where I'm just trying new things and always figuring it out. Yeah, I think we've both always had a propensity for for justice and to really to really push for social justice in, in any way. So I've always respected that about you very greatly. Um, I did notice that we we jumped ahead quite a bit. Um, sure. I would like to talk a little bit more about um, getting even get getting into law school, like f- starting from the LSAT, sure. starting from like those those are the little struggles I think that people who maybe are also interested to follow that type of path would be probably really good sure. good for them to know because I know myself I has have had a lot of good conversations with people at all different stages throughout life uh, or all different stages of their um, process through becoming a lawyer and and I gleaned a lot from that. 
Um, so maybe, maybe if you want to talk to us about maybe some of your challenges in terms of, um, let's start with maybe the LSAT itself. Sure. Very, very simple, base, base stuff. Sure. So just like background, I mean, law school, like any other um, kind of elite professional degree requires top numbers to get in. Um, I think like, for example, med schools and dental schools might be more well-rounded in terms of what they look for. Like there's an interview. Mm-hmm. Law schools generally don't do an interview. It's all numbers. It's GPA, LSAT. Um, right. That is um, that is kind of changing now. I kind of, and this is, you know, maybe something we could talk about this at another point, but they are, the landscape is changing because they keep popping up new law schools and it's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, we already have uh, way too many lawyers as is and too few jobs. Uh-huh. So we, we just right. don't need schools like TRU and Lakehead and Trinity Western and Ryerson. Ryerson now has a law school too. Mm-hmm. How, how many how many law schools does Toronto need? They have Osgoode, yeah. they have U of T and now Ryerson, like three in one city. Um, yeah. but, but anyway, so when I was applying, um, it was 2014 and I knew that as I, so as I mentioned earlier, you mentioned, you're mentioning challenges. So I started off my undergrad in science and I just hated it. And so I didn't perform well. So that brought down my GPA. I think right. I was at a, by the time I graduated uh, and I was probably at a 3.5 because I was able to kill my last two or three years in poli-sci. Mm-hmm. But with a 3.5, you're still, it's still kind of an uphill, uphill battle getting into law school in Canada. So I knew that I needed kind of like a 93rd percentile score to have my pick of law schools. And oh, you mean on the LSAT specifically to count? Sorry, that? yeah, I don't think I specified that. Yeah, LSAT. Yeah. Um, just to make sure the listeners are clear on that one. Of course, yeah. So just think about it like a scale. If you're high on one end, you can be lower on the other. Yeah, so to compensate. Yeah, if your GPA is a four, you probably don't need a 93rd percentile LSAT. You can probably get away with an 80th percentile LSAT. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but that's yeah. kind of the cutoff in Canada. So, as, so seeing as though that was the problem that, mm-hmm. that you got caught into, because obviously you didn't have the passion for the sciences and that dropped your grade, you mm-hmm. had to basically work your butt off, which I was I was a witness to some of it. Uh, and I commend you. I, I actually applaud you literally. Uh, you, one of, you were the, one of the most examples of, of, of hard work and stick that I've seen in my life. So I want to make sure our readers know, our readers, our, <laughs> our, our listeners know that, like, honestly, like, you have to bust your balls to, to get to get somewhere. And it's it is a highly highly competitive thing. And you've one of the things that you actually told me stuck with me, um, which actually made me not pursue uh, the LSAT at the time, was the fact that you were saying like you really have to want it. You have to want it so bad that you're going to be willing to go through all of this to kind of uh, to get there. And like every step has its own hoops to jump through, and it's it's very very frustrating. So that's one of the things I took to heart when I was. You know, I tried doing the LSATs and seeing if it was for me. So that really kind of stuck with me, and it showed that you did have that in you. Yeah, uh, for, you know, some people, some things are harder for others than they are for other people. You know what I mean? Like, I, I knew some people that didn't struggle with the LSAT, and um, some people that just walked in and, and got perfect scores. And it just it just depends. It just depends on the person. Um. For me, I don't think that I I had kind of work ethic at the time. I think that I really, like undergrad, as soon as I switched over to poli-sci, it just became a bit easier. And I didn't really develop the work ethic skills that I needed, like discipline and diligence until the LSAT. So finally, I was in a situation where I really needed to apply myself. 
And the LSAT was a good test in that regard. Now that I look back on it, I don't think it was that hard because law school was 10 times harder. Um, but yeah, I just, it was pure dedication for a good three, four months. I didn't really do anything else. And in the end, I got the score that I needed. Do you think it was, um, do you think the LSAT helps you in, in law school? And if so, in what way? That's a great question. Different people will have different opinions. In my opinion, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's two reasons and they're, they're kind of different. A, it's difficult. It, it honestly is, it's a difficult exam and I don't want to say the majority of people, but a good amount of people won't improve that much. So like it's, it's rare for somebody to go from a, from a, like a 140 to a 170. Um, it's, it's not an IQ test, but it sort of is if that makes sense. So while I was able to, I was able to increase my score substantially between my two tries, I already had a pretty decent foundation coming from poli sci and philosophy where I was, you know, like those test logical thinking and critical thinking skills. Um, so in that regard, because you're, you are crushing this challenge as best as you can, that prepares you for the rigors that is law school. So you come out tougher. Yeah. And that, that's important. But also, it is a logic exam. And law, law is very much predicated on logic and critical thinking and being clever, um, especially if you want to go into advocacy. You have to outthink people and you have to catch people's flaws in their thinking. And the, law, the LSAT does that. Um, in, its, in its rawest form, it's just a logic test. So it, it is absolutely helpful. And I would say the majority of people that I knew, um, their law school grades were very similar to how they performed on the LSAT. So if they scored in the top 5% of the LSAT, they pretty much always killed law school. And if they scored poorly on the LSAT or if they struggled on the LSAT, they generally struggled with law school. And, and what was interesting about the LSAT as well is from my from what I heard from other people is that someone who may not have studied at all could walk in and get a 177. It's not common, but I've, I've, I know of someone who did that out of out of 180, which which mm-hmm. I should qualify, mm-hmm. which is which is out like crazy. It's just that's crazy a Harvard score. That's a Harvard. Like if you yeah. get that score, you can get into any law school. You want. And there's literally people who can study for years and years and yeah. maybe stay at like a I don't know, like a 150, 155. Like they'll never be able to get to that range where one of the top tier law schools will will allow them no matter how much how good their gpa was really in in that way exactly yeah it's funny how that works out and you know i just i just feel like it just it does go back to it it unfortunately goes back to intelligence like some people are just intelligent in different ways and this tests a particular type of intelligence and you can work at it and you can get better but it's it's hard to go from terrible to incredible yeah. yeah yeah It's a lot harder to do that than like maybe a typical exam would be. Yeah. The other thing I want to touch on, which I found when I was doing the LSATs or when I was studying for them, rather, I found very intriguing was the the mysticism around the LSAT score. And I know you and I had some funny conversations about this as well, about how almost everybody is very, very secretive about their LSAT score as if as if their score will affect someone else's score in a weird way mm-hmm. uh, or, or like or it's like a, a representation of, 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 you know, of their I don't know, like you said, like you said, intelligence, right? It was very odd to me that I would say nine out of the 10 people I spoke with, they would hide their LSAT score and they would not give it to you no matter what. You could offer them money, food, back rubs, 
any kind of like secret government information, <laughs> but they would not ever release their LSAT scores. And I was very, very confused by that because I never had an issue with it myself. But I don't know. I, do you have any? Did you find that weird as well? Did you have that same experience? That's a fair point. Um, in in law school, I would say people are open about it if you ask them, but nobody really talks about it because it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, Fun- that's after the fact. Funny enough, I was just working with a lawyer who is in his 15th year of calls. So he's very senior and he was bragging about his LSAT score. Like huh. it, it was super strange and rare. Um, but it is like, it is a pride thing for some people. Cause again, it is, it's in many ways, it's similar to an IQ test. So in that but way. But at the same yeah. time, so what, but people, I've known people who have done well and not wanted to share that information too. Do you know what the reason would be for that? No, I mean, maybe they're just like that. Like, like I know, for example, our good friend Arash, he, he didn't like to discuss his grades and he always did very well. Like he was guy. one of those folks, but there was, yeah, a, like, there was yeah. a lot, like it wasn't the exception. I found like through my experience, it was almost the rule where people would just hide it. So I don't know it was, it was a little bit strange of a, of a concept for me because I don't know. It was yeah, just really- yeah, fair enough. And and even in law school, people are like that with their grades. Like nobody yeah. really talks about their. But but they like to your point, and I agree. Law school is different because we're curved against each other, mm. right? But there's no that doesn't happen on the LSAT really. The curve is predetermined. Yeah. So I I don't know why that is. Um, and I think you touched on the point where I think it's just the sense of competition with everyone. They don't want, they want to have the upper hand by any means necessary, and even giving such information like that might be something that someone would would i don't know somehow use against them or like be able to fight for like if you knew for example that your uh friend or 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 someone your classmate got 165 you knew if you got a 167 whatever you'd have a better chance right so then you'd be able to push yourself for that but i don't know it does it doesn't seem like if you're going to do well you're going to do well like you said if not then not but yeah that was always a very strange little little interesting yeah 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 good i mean good for you for for noticing that i always like noticing intricacies like that that don't really make sense about human behavior you know like it is a, yeah. at the end of the day it is just an exam a lot yeah. of people place more importance on it than they need to and they allow it to define themselves like this lawyer that i was just telling you about you know like yeah he wrote the thing 20 years ago it's just very peculiar that he's still kind of bragging about it yeah, he's, he seems to be a successful lawyer and he's still talking about the past. Sometimes. Yeah, he's got a bunch of kids. You know, he's very, he's successful at what he does. He was also inebriated <laughs> when oh, he was telling me. So. Yeah. so the other question I was gonna, that, that was going to lead into was actually what, what your thoughts are on um, international uh, law schools that maybe don't even really require else or don't don't focus heavily on LSAT scores or don't focus on them at all. Yeah. Like what, and then people who maybe like go from here to there and then come back. And what's the difference? I don't know if you've, if you work with any of these people or if you know of any of these people, but what's, what is kind of the difference if one were to take that route as opposed to the traditional route? Do, do you know? So, yeah. So I, I know a lot about this topic because um, being in the profession, it comes up all the time. Mm-hmm. And just by way of background for anybody listening, who's considering doing that, there is a, there is a massive stigma associated mm-hmm. with doing that. The exceptions are, um, if you go to HYS or Oxbridge, Oxbridge, Oxbridge being Oxford or Cambridge, and right. HYS being Harvard, Yale, Stanford. Oh, okay. Um, if, you, if, if you go to those yeah. schools, then you will be actually at a better, you will be more regarded, more highly regarded than a Canadian law school grad. Because I believe Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Harvard gets 10,000 applications a year for their law school. They let in, I don't know, maybe four or 500. Um, right. Canadian law schools get maybe 2,000. 
So huh. it's very, it's obviously very competitive. And I know grads from those schools and they do very well. Right. The, the, the stigma comes from the other schools, which will pretty well let in a lot, of, like most people that apply. Mm-hmm. And it's not very difficult to get into those other schools in like the UK or Ireland or Australia. Um, a lot of people who, and I want to be careful because I know competent people, smart people who have gone to those schools and are now practicing here and doing fine. Right. And I'm happy for them. You know, it worked yeah. out. But the VAT for the for the good majority of people, it doesn't work out. And I know for a fact that my previous firm would generally just toss those applications out as soon as they got right. them, unless it was from that's, one of those schools. And that's good insider information to know for people who are wanting to do that, because not only is it a lot of money that you're spending on like international student fees, but also living abroad in another country is a whole yeah. other uh, difficulty right there, being away from friends and family, plus again, the, the added cost to that. So definitely something for sure. that really for of. sure. I would, I would highly recommend against it. I would advise against that uh, for anyone considering doing that. I, I would say, yeah, I would say go to law school in the jurisdiction that you want to practice. And if you want to be a Canadian lawyer, go to school in Canada. It's really, it's become less difficult to get in uh, mm-hmm. with these new schools popping up. Um, it, it, it probably won't work out for most people who, who go, go abroad and try and come back. And generally what happens, I know, I know you want to move on, Kayvon. I'll just make one, one more point. No, of course, Gen- generally what happens is they end up in practice areas that they don't want to practice in and they end up working for firms that they don't want to work for. Right. That's usually what happens and they're not getting paid what they should be getting paid had they gone here. But like you said, it's a different landscape now, right? Ten years ago, there was probably only what, like five or six law schools in the country? Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. there's maybe like 10, like you're saying? Oh, there's, I mean, I think maybe there's more? like 15 common law law oh. schools now. Yeah. yeah, so it's definitely the landscape is shifting. So hopefully those people won't have to go international anymore if they do want to pursue law in general. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, that's at least a good sign. But we'll see if these universities, again, there might still be that same stigma attached to the smaller or the newer institutions um, for a little while, at least for the first while. Yeah, there will be. I mean, TRU is slowly shedding that from what I hear. Um, mm-hmm. They're becoming more and more credible, I think, by the year. Uh, but Thompson we'll River? Is that, where, is that yeah, that yeah, one yeah. Thompson right. Rivers, yeah. But see, like you, you, you had to double check the name, you know, like what's, yeah. and you're a smart guy. I mean, employers who have been practicing for 40, 50 years, they, they're probably the same. Like they might have to double check the name too. And mm-hmm. that doesn't bode well for those applicants, right? right. Um, it's always better to go to a place that's accredited. That's not to discount or disrespect anybody that goes to TRU. No, of course. I, I work no, with, no. Yeah, yeah, I work with very competent, smart people that go to TRU and they all do fine. Yeah, and it'll take a while. Like new, new things for, especially for really old institutions like the law or like law or like lawyers, I think it, um, I think it takes some time to adjust to new to new things. So I think it's just part of the learning. It'll be part of like the learning. Uh, exactly. Every school went through that. U of T went through that. Harvard went through that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the next thing, so so once yeah, so you do your law, you do your LSATs, you go into law school. Mm-hmm. If you're fortunate enough to to pass law school, which um, I guess maybe we can quickly touch on, it can be a two point question. I would wanted to ask, what was your biggest challenge in law school itself? And then maybe tell us uh, once you're done that, tell us a little bit about what the bar exam is like. Sure, sure, uh, great questions. Um, challenges in law school. Um, I think the biggest thing that hit me was I was surrounded by geniuses who all had work ethic. That was right. that was intimidating because I think I went in kind of arrogant. Like I had done really well in the LSAT. I had good grades. Mm. Like I was, you know, you know, like you you described me earlier as being a hard worker and determined and stick to it. And that's exactly how I went in. 
Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I soon became humbled, uh, especially mm. because of the curve. Like I generally performed above average. I like, if you look at my grades, I beat the average in most of my classes, which now I'm, nice. now I'm proud of it. And the moment I wasn't, I was like, why am I not getting A's? You know, why, why am I only getting a few A's big, here and there? Big fish, little, big fish, little exactly, pond, right? Exactly. Like there were, I'm not joking when I tell you that there were, there were students in my year that got into Harvard that got into Yale, yeah. Columbia, you know, they, they, they were Ivy league heavy hitters. They could have gone on and, and done anything. Columbia. And uh, <laughs> I was, I'm now competing against them. And yeah. that's like, that's, that's kind of the, the biggest thing. Like the, the curve kills people and it, it determines everything. And so your, your stuff, how it worked just very quick background is there are 167 students in my first year. We were divided into three sections of around 60 students. I was in section B. Mm-hmm. And we had you have all your classes with your section, and you have one okay. class with everyone, and that's legal research and writing. That's all 167 students. Otherwise, you are taking all of your other classes in 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 your small group in your section, mm-hmm. and uh, so you're competing with those 60 people always in every class. And generally, the the, the geniuses kill every class. And uh, what you need to get a job is to finish in the top third. So you need to be generally beat the curve. That's what you're aiming for. Right. So if, if you do the math, top 10% get the A's. So in a section of 60, that's six students. The next mm-hmm. fix, the next 15 will get B pluses and Bs and they'll be at the curve or just above the curve. And that's kind of where you want to be. And p- folks who finish lower than the curve are getting the C pluses and the Cs and employers, a lot of firms, a lot of the big prestigious firms will toss out applications. Uh, so top 20, the top 20 out of the 60, basically, like you said, by top third. Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's generally where you want to end up. And the higher you go, the better. But yeah. uh, there's a lot of firms out there that will toss your application out if you have a C. So, yeah, it's it's, so, it's tough. So yeah, Being thrown in there with all the big fish, if you will, really kind of gave you a wake-up call in that way that you you were definitely – so you were definitely the one that that stood out before, like, going in uh, LSAT-wise and your studies. And then once you're there, then you no longer stand out. And that that's the thing that you said that humbled you, that you realize that there's all these great minds that are there with you. And then you have to work even harder to like, like you thought you, you thought you were at your top end maybe, and then you had to like amp it up again just to be able to compete and go to the next level. Yeah. I, it, it's exactly that. Um, you, you are thrown into this fire of, of really smart people who work really hard some of whom, like I said, did not have not struggled at all in academia. You know, mm-hmm. there were there were a lot of gold medalists from their undergrad, like top mark in the entire university, U of right. T. You know, top top undergrad student, and uh, so they know how to do well and they test well. That's the biggest thing. They they standardized tests very well, and I never did. Mm-hmm. I always mm-hmm. struggled with standardized tests, so that was a big thing for me. Um, and so you do that, and then the, there's this thing that. There's this thing that really ruins lives. And, and one of my biggest fears is that it will, someone will kill themselves over this if they haven't already. And it's called the OCI process. Um, essentially what that is, is that uh, at schools that are known, so that are uh, well known in Canada, yes, firms from the top five corporate centers in Canada will fly to these schools and interview the top third of the class. Right. So um, you, 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 what we're told is you prepare your cover letter, your resume, your transcript, everything as soon as summer comes around after first year. So you write your final mm-hmm. exams, you take a month off or so, and then June and July and some of August are spent preparing your applications for these firms that are coming. 
And they're prestigious firms. They're, they're smart people. They do high-level work, and they have strong interpersonal skills. So you also have to interview well. If you're awkward, they don't want you. Right. And so that becomes a whole other thing, man. You know, like you're competing for these jobs now that are based primarily on your grades. And, you know, you're so, for example, this actually happened to me. Like I got an interview with a firm called Bennett Jones. Uh, they, they are very big in Calgary. They have a growing presence on, on Bay Street in Toronto and they have a small Vancouver office. Actually, they just merged last year. They just bought out another Vancouver firm. But anyway, so they're everywhere. And I was mm-hmm. super excited meeting with Bennett Jones. And I was talking to my friend Katrina, who I didn't know this, but actually was a genius, ended up winning the gold medal. So she was the top student in the entire law school all three years. And she's wow. from Kelowna, so also a BC folk. And now she's in downtown Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So I was talking to her and she goes, oh, yeah, yeah. they uh, they invited me out for dinner the other night. And that just huh. killed me. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's uh, that sucks to hear that. But it's also just a major test of detachment. You know, being a Baha'i was certainly a blessing. There's, there's a lot of students that happens to them and they fall back into drugs and alcohol. That's a big problem even in law school, let alone right. the profession. So that was also, I mean, it's I appreciate that we've kind of come we've gone very methodically through this conversation. Like it's a challenge getting in. It's a challenge yeah. doing well once you're in and then getting a job is its challenge. It's a challenge on its own because that's also competitive. So for anyone who's not sure about going to law school, I would make, you know, make sure you're, you're make sure this is for you because it's a tough business. Be ready. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So maybe uh, we have maybe like five minutes left. Sure. So do you want to talk about the bar and what that, that's like? And then also once that is, uh, if you're lucky enough to have that uh, under your belt, then what's the next step? Yeah. So like, if you're, for yeah, yeah, fair enough. So if you're lucky enough to get Art. in at the OCI process, which I was, I, I article, I summered an article that Borden Ladner Gervais in their Ottawa office, which is Canada's largest law firm. They do a lot really? of great work, and I was super lucky to to go there. If you're lucky, excuse me, to get into a firm like that, they pay all your bar fees, which nice. comes which comes out to about eight thousand dollars. Go Ottawa. And, uh, and it, you know, your registration fees with the Law Society of Ontario and all that. So they pay all that. So it, it was a nightmare. And, and this is very provincially dependent. I think what, what I've heard in Alberta, the bar exam is as difficult as saying your last name out loud. Apparently, <laughs> that's, it's not very hard. Ontario, in Ontario, it's very hard. Um, I, I, you know what? I don't want to say very hard. It, it's just, it's hard. In BC, yeah. they have this thing called PLTC, which is a course. But in Ontario, it's hard because essentially you're at your final exams and you're done in mid-April. So let's say April 15th was my last final exam, and this, this is true. Mm-hmm. The, the bar exam in Ontario is two installments. One is solicitor, one is barrister. So that your okay. solicitor exam is going to be the more transactional side of law, real estate, securities, mergers and acquisitions, corporate law, tax. That mm-hmm. is June 1st. And it's about 1,600 pages of material, and it's dense. Wow. So think about that. My last exam is April 15th. Yeah. It's June 1st and it's 1600 pages of material. Yeah. How much time does that give you, right? Not much. And then the no. worst part is then you have barrister or I think barrister came first. So then you have so you have barrister first on June 1st and then you have solicitor on June 15th. 2 weeks later, same amount of reading, 1600 pages. Yeah, that's about 120 pages a day. It, if you have to average it out. Yeah, it's pretty bad, man. And a lot of people aren't able to finish their, their readings. And they don't actually publish pass-fail rates. I don't know. I don't know how many people fail. Um, 
but it's it's a nightmare it's a gong show and to top it off i was getting married right in the middle of it so, oh congrats yeah you were there <laughs> but thanks good times good times yeah but uh, it was, yeah, the whole, that, that, that's a nightmare as well. I think BC is a little more laid back. You mean getting married? Oh, the bar, the bar. Sorry, sorry. So, so the, so you're saying the, and so for example, if you go to a law school in Ontario, then for those that don't know, and you write the bar exam to work there, but then you ended up moving to BC, you have to write a different bar exam to work in BC. Is that correct? No, they have a national mobility agreement, depending on um, okay. which province you wrote the bar in. And the okay. Ontario bar is, is respected. So mm -hmm. uh, you can generally practice in most places. I think not like, like that Alberta one. <laughs> I don't know actually if Alberta has that agreement. I would just I think they do. I think PEI doesn't. So if you write oh, the PEI so bar and you still want to practice in BC, you got to write BC. But maybe I'm thinking about in the United States. Then I think state to state they might have different. They do, things. yeah, because because they have over 200 law schools in the states. It's kind of a yeah. joke getting into some of those schools. Yeah. So their quality control process is the bar exam, whereas our quality control process is getting into law school. So bar I exams also, are a bit easier. Yeah. I also feel like state to state, the laws can differ a lot more than in Canada from what I've experienced. Like the, 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 the differences can be vastly larger and more of them, I think. Yeah, I wouldn't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've actually looked into practicing in New York. A lot of people do it. A lot of the top performers in, in Canadian law schools will go off to New York and get recruited mm -hmm. by New York law firms because the salary is so high. Yeah. I think average starting salary for a first year lawyer in New York is about 300,000 Canadian, um, which is unreal. Yeah. So speaking, so speaking of that, so, okay. So the bar exam is difficult. Let's, let's just move past that. Depending on where you are. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on where you are for the most part. Um, what, what is the life of a first year lost law, uh, employee, I should say a lawyer yeah. or, or during your articling, what is life like? I mean, from what your experience is, I think you had a fortunate experience, but I'll let you tell it that yours was, they respected your, I should say, um, what do you call it? Your work life ratio a little bit better, but what's the typical sort of um, experience for someone in their first first year? Yeah, fair enough. So it depends what you mean by first year. Does that include articling? Like, are you seeing articling, articling as... or first year, whichever okay. way? Yeah. So it really, really depends. I think articling again, depending on where you are. I think on Bay Street, your Bay Street is more cutthroat and more traditional. Like everything that you think of of when you think about it, like um, a sixteen so, hour workday. Sometimes worse than that. Yeah, like I, I know people who have slept at the firm overnight. Uh, like if there's a big transaction going on, I know people that have had to go to KFC at 3 a.m. to sign an affidavit, uh, swear an affidavit. Like it's, it can be that bad. Um, yeah. Mine, mine was okay because I was in Ottawa. It's a little more chill, but there were yeah. there were tough nights as well. But mm -hmm. um, so articling, you are definitely seen as being the bottom of the totem pole. Um, you are a slave. Again, depending yeah. on where, so if you're quote unquote, yeah, if you're quote unquote lucky to get a job through the OCI process, those firms don't take it easy on their articling students. They will put right. you through the grinder depending on where you are again. Yeah. So um, Vancouver is also quite known to ride their articling students pretty hard. I walk by articling students on the street sometimes when I'm in downtown Vancouver. I know they're articling students and uh, they look <laughs> like... By the look on their faces? Zombies. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, and Target... Target at Bay Street firms in Toronto is around 1,800 hours, billable hours. And that's, articling students are expected to meet that. And that's a lot of hours worked. Is that a month? No, that's annual. Oh, that's like, like yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. But, but like, you have to understand that if, if I work a 10-hour day, I'm only billing seven. 
because right. that's just so if I say eighteen hundred hours and people exactly. think that's not that much. You don't yeah. bill for every hour you work, right? Right. So it's more like twenty four hundred hours worked for an eighteen hundred. Yeah, at least. Oh man, it's 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 definitely a struggle, and there's definitely hoops. Even when you have jobs, there's still hoops to jump through. For sure, yeah. It's it's you know it's what you make, and if you're clear about your boundaries and that you know you this is important to you to go home with your family, provided you do really good work and you're a good employee and people like you, I'm sure you can make that work. But you still have to meet target. That's that's mandatory. And like you said, the landscape is shifting, I think, a little bit um, for that work-life balance that I was trying to say earlier, and I couldn't remember the word balance for some reason. Uh, <laughs> that's that <a> ratio. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm hoping I'm hoping more and more of these firms uh, adopt the work-life ratio balance, at least a little bit more. Like if they're going to do a 16-hour day, let them just do 12. Let them give them four hours to eat and bathe and, and keep their sanity for a while. But again, I right. think like you said, it's a rigorous test to see who can withstand those pressures and maybe it'll that'll be like a uh an idea it'll give them an idea of who can handle maybe like bigger pressures or like courtroom pressures yeah you're, you're totally right um it is in my opinion i've never worked in toronto but i did interview with a few firms out there in my humble opinion it is changing um for example i i interviewed at a firm called goodman's which is um one of the seven sister firms that that um that term isn't really used too much anymore but it historically was the seven most prestigious well-known firms in canada mm. and uh so goodman's is a is an amazing firm i would love to work there and my friend came down to get me i, I had a, f- a fellow friends from law school who were working there who kind of set me up with an interview and he nice. came down to get me shada was there actually too and he was in jeans and i was like what's going on i was in a full suit you know I had an, <laughs> and he was like well it's it's dress for your day now Oh. Um, if you if you're meeting with a client, obviously suit and tie. But other than that, you can wear whatever the hell you want. And 20 years ago, that would have not been the case. No, so, I I laughed even with you just saying that. I'm like, I couldn't believe it. I could Was he quitting that it. day? Is that was that like he's quitting? Dance? He could have been. He could have been. But he he is the he is the nicest guy, you know. And uh, I never ever want to live in Toronto. But that would if I had to, that would be my first landing stop. That firm yeah, is, is a gem. You'd have to not be in your right mind to want to live in Toronto. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm You're not joking. joking. I'm secretly not joking. <laughs> oh man. But yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I think I think we all learned a lot, and and I think a lot of people maybe found this hopefully found this interesting. I do appreciate you uh, sharing your experiences because I know it can be tough to relive some of those scarring scarring moments of life. <laughs> um, but like you said, I I would take each and every one of those as a learning experience and. And kind of just work with that. Do you have any any final thoughts to add in before we close up shop? No. Um, anybody listening to this can feel free to reach out to me, and um, I'm sure I've said some things that not everybody would agree with, and that's fine. And uh, if anybody has any questions or anything, I'm happy to be of service if I can. Like if anybody's thinking about going to law school, I'm fresh out of law school, so I'm happy to clear it up. But yeah, this came on. This is a great idea. Um, it's it's really helped. Uh, I think people feel more connected. I know Arash had nice things to say about this as well. So you're doing great things and thank you. You mean Mr. X, of course, right? Mr. X, Mr. Y, yes. Yeah. So uh, just, yeah, as a disclaimer, all of these opinions uh, are the opinions of the, <laughs> of the of the person and do not reflect any company or organization. I'll or, protect you or, if you get sued, don't worry. No, I'm, I was more worried about you and your job but or, or your careers, I should say. Um, so yeah, so we'll, we'll uh, fade out with a little bit of music from Yeba. It's called Evergreen. You heard a little bit about the beginning and we're going to hear a little bit more now and then we'll we'll close up
Thanks, everyone, for listening. See you next time. Mississippi's overflowing. Hold your courage.